The enormous benefits of giving children a good music education are well recognised. Being involved in making music can have a lasting impact. It's not only great fun, but children can learn valuable life skills too. Those of you who've learned to play an instrument will no doubt have heard the old saying, practice makes perfect, many a time. If you want to be good at something, you have to put the hours in. And then playing or singing in a group can help children learn social skills through teamwork. A study from the University of California showed that learning music helps children to understand maths. And it can boost self-confidence and help their concentration too. I'm Katie Derham, and in this episode, we'll be exploring how music education for children can be just the tonic. There's long been a correlation between musical training and academic success. And that's something that Joe Ashcroft recognises. We find that the young people who commit and keep coming to us really grow in confidence. We find that they commit more to school they commit generally to their education. Joe is a senior musician at Systema Scotland's Big Noise Raploch project. And Systema Scotland is inspired by the world famous El Sistema, the music education project in Venezuela, which has helped and trained tens of thousands of children. The fantastic music you've just been listening to has all been performed by children and young people from Big Noise Raploch, and we'll be hearing more from Joe later and from students Simone and Scott Hutchinson. Learning a musical instrument isn't just about the musical side of things. You learn many life skills. If it wasn't for Big Noise, I don't know what I would be doing. Like, Big Noise has, well, it's changed my life and I'm sure it has for many other children here. I'll be speaking to the brilliant virtuoso violinist Nicola Benedetti, who's helping thousands of children around the world get involved in music through her Benedetti Foundation. Music within education is a life choice and a life mission for me and for so many of my colleagues. First up, let's hear from 22-year-old Nevan Lobin. Opal, can you just give us a lovely He's the new principal conductor of the People's Orchestra, the fabulous West Midlands-based community orchestra we've featured throughout this series. Neven heard about the People's Orchestra when he was studying saxophone at the Royal Birmingham Conservatoire. In his experience, studying music at school gives children an added advantage in other subjects. I was lucky enough to go to one of the top state schools in Scotland, not because I was rich and able to fund it. It was all funded by the, by the Scottish government, and it was a partly a music school. It was what they call a centre for excellence. It's totally free to attend. It's just by audition. And I don't think it's a coincidence that one of the top state schools in Scotland has a specialist music programme. The music students there were often among the highest performing students in the school. Schools that invest in their music programmes get better results. That is a fact that is consistent throughout pages and pages of research. And as Neven says, the benefits aren't just for those who want to take up music as a career. It can be a hobby, it can be something that you do because you enjoy it. Most people who think they can't learn an instrument or have been told they can't have just been either taught in the wrong way or taught the wrong thing. There is an instrument for everyone. I used to play piano, I never really liked it, and that just wasn't for me. I went on to play saxophone, I absolutely loved that, that was for me. But if people give up because they didn't enjoy their first instrument, then they're missing out on a whole world that they can take with 
with them for the rest of their lives and as I said all the benefits that come with that but there's hundreds of instruments and there's hundreds of styles and obviously it can be difficult especially in a classroom to cover all that but if you don't like what you're being taught in the classroom there's definitely more styles out there for you to discover there's definitely more instruments for example um, we're very much taught about western classical music for a lot of people that's really really boring they might be into to jazz or hip-hop or or much more modern music that's totally fine go and find your passion because there will be a style for you we heard in episode three how saxophonist Zosa Cole benefited from community music programmes when he was growing up in Birmingham. That was at a time when arts funding was more widely available. Making music lessons available to everyone is something Neven feels very strongly about. Charging for instrument lessons is very classist. It just strengthens this idea that music is for rich children whose parents can afford it. That's not what it should be. And it is a shame that you know it's one of the only subjects, apart from sports, that and young people will engage in outside of school hours. And yet, why do you want to charge them for the privilege? They want to go and learn something, but you're asking them to, to cough up some money first. That's totally not on. One music education project that provides lessons free of charge is Sistema Scotland. Their musicians have been teaching children in deprived communities all over Scotland to learn to play a musical instrument through their Big Noise projects. Here's Joe Ashcroft, senior musician from Big Noise Raploch in Stirling, the first Big Noise centre. Sistema Scotland was inspired by the Venezuelan Sistema, which is a it's quite a historical thing now, set up by Maestro Abro, and it was about bringing immersive free orchestral instrumental tuition and, and the idea of teaching in big groups and making a big sound, an orchestral sound, to kind of glue communities together and try and um, promote community cohesion um, in some of the poorest areas of Venezuela in the cities such as Caracas. It was during a trip to Venezuela that Richard Holloway, former Bishop of Edinburgh, saw the El Sistema project and decided it would be great to bring something similar to communities in Scotland. A journey started finding a community that was interested and that, were, that fitted the bill for the first Big Noise Centre. And they decided on Raplock as it was undergoing a lot of regeneration in terms of funding, in terms of the housing here. Since Big Noise started 13 years ago, there's been a huge amount of um, physical regeneration in Raplock. Lots and lots of housing knocked down, lots and lots of housing rebuilt. A new community campus, which was pretty much brand new when Big Noise started. Um, so the idea of regenerating a community, giving people something new, was when Big Noise started as well. Since then, Big Noise projects have been set up in Govanhill in Glasgow, Torrey in Aberdeen, Douglas in Dundee and Westerhales in Edinburgh. The reason why we work in communities such as Raplock, Govan Hill, Torrey, Douglas and Wester Hales is because all of those communities face significant challenges in terms of multiple deprivations. Very different communities to each other, but all of them have significant challenges for the people that live there. So the reality of buying musical instruments and paying for lessons is not something families can often afford. The children that we work with, they wouldn't have the, the opportunity to play an instrument. They wouldn't have the opportunity to play music because of financial barriers. It's only this year that the Scottish government has reduced the financial 
burden of playing an instrument in schools, but the resource that local authority music services have is still limited. It doesn't mean that it's open to everyone just because it's free. Lots of local authority music services still have a kind of aptitude test. So if kids haven't had a background in music to that point where they have to take that test, then they probably aren't going to pass it. We find that the kids that we, we work with, if it wasn't for big noise, that cycle wouldn't be broken. They wouldn't have their opportunity. Whereas we find that the kids that play music with us are just as able as other children. They just wouldn't have had the opportunity to work with musicians if it wasn't for Big Noise being in their community. For Jo, the wider benefits of a music education are clear to see in the children she's worked with. Well, our motto is social change through music, social transformation, social change through music. And we find that the young people who kind of commit and keep coming to us really grow in confidence. We find that they commit more to school when they're committing to us as well. And they commit generally to their education. A lot of us as staff members here, as musicians um, in Big Noise, are quite long-term staff members in the community. So I've worked here pretty much for 11 years. You know, I've seen some children who were four who are now... 15 or even older than that. So I think the kind of idea of the building of relationships is, is as much part of our ethos as teaching music. Music is a tool, but also it relationships and finding the common ground between musician and, and the children, building a kind of role model, talking about healthy relationships and a way of living really helps with kids opening their eyes to what's achievable in life. And they start at the very beginning, which, as we all know, is a very fine place to start. Before they come to after school, we teach them in the school um, in primary one and two, kind of talking about the basics of the building blocks of music in terms of pitch, timbre, metre, uh, rhythm, and also the building blocks of being a musician in terms of the social skills, sharing, taking turns, the, the social outcomes. Even before that, we teach in nursery and in Little Noise, which is the parent and toddler group. So we're trying to give every child in Ratlock or in the communities that we work in that all the way through their childhood up until they're 18 if they choose to continue that far. So that's how the kind of progression works. They come to after school up to four days a week. So the beginners come twice a week and then they come more often three times and then four times a week if they're more advanced. So they come every night after school, some of them. And that's when they generally have their group sessions. So we try to do their one-to-one -one individual lessons during the school day and then their specific symphonic band or WBP, Woodwind Brass Percussion, band or string orchestra and then the symphony orchestra kind of incorporates everyone. And this fantastic comprehensive music education is free to the children taking part. Everything's provided free of charge. So the children come and they have a snack. They're provided with a healthy snack. The instruments are provided free of charge. Music is provided free of charge. 
everything's free, all the trips are free. We don't ask them to contribute to anything. One young person who's been with Big Noise in Raplock since primary school and is now studying at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland is Simone Hutchinson. My friends from primary school already went to Big Noise at the, with the string programme, um, but I was never really interested in the strings. But in my primary six, seven class, uh, the brass tutors came in and they were all walking about playing their instruments. And I remember as a child just being totally mesmerised and thinking that was so amazing, like these big brass instruments I'd never seen in my life. I got given the trombone, I think it's because I've had like quite long arms and stuff. I'm really, really glad because I just love trombone. None of my family were musical at all and none of them played instruments. So when I brought this uh, big brass instrument home and would play it out in the back garden, and as you can imagine, a beginner didn't sound great at all. So my dad would be walking around slamming doors while my mum was like acting as if it sounded great. When I got to high school, um, I realised that I really wanted to do trombone as a career. Um, So I auditioned for orchestras like the National Youth Orchestra of Scotland and went to their junior orchestra for a few years. And then I also auditioned for the Junior Academy at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. So I went to the juniors programme for many years and then auditioned to get into uni at uh, the Royal Conservatoire. So I'm currently going into my third year now studying uh, the BMOS performance. Learning a musical instrument isn't just about the musical side of things. You learn many life skills. A huge thing for me, learning an instrument, was my confidence. I used to be really shy and insecure, but learning an instrument has just brought me out my shell and I've spoken and played in front of many people by myself and with groups and I would never have been able to do that before. And small things like organisation and stuff, because in high school I had to study for exams and go to big noise and practice, I had to be really organised with my time. So it's endless, the amount of life skills that comes along with learning an instrument. When I finish my studies, I want to do community outreach. I feel really passionately about it. I want to give back in a way because I was given such amazing opportunities and would never be where I was without big noise. So I want to be able to like give that to at least one child, if not lots. My family, I think, are all very proud of me. My aunties love coming to my concerts and they're always asking when the next one is. I have two brothers who are also in big noise. I have one that plays trombone and my younger brother plays clarinet. At Christmas time, we actually get together and do trios and duets and stuff and send all the videos to the family. And here's Simone's brother, 16-year-old Scott, who plays clarinet and saxophone. Well, obviously, I love performing music, but also just meeting new people. Like, through Big Noise, I've been in a various amount of courses and just meeting the people with the same interest is amazing. I've been attending the Royal Conservatoire Junior Programme for about four years now. Music has definitely increased my confidence, as well as my leadership skills. If it wasn't for Big Noise, I don't know what I would be doing. Like, Big Noise has, well, it's changed my life, and I'm sure it has for many other children here. Big Noise has opened a clear career path of what I want to do. I would love to do 
something through music, either performing or maybe even come back to Big Noise and do some teaching. That would be the dream. It is so great to hear that both Simone and Scott are thinking about music education as a career, to give children in their own community the opportunities that Big Noise has given to them. Well, one musician whose name has become synonymous with music education is one of the finest and most in-demand violinists around, Nicola Benedetti. That's Nicola playing with children in the Big Noise Raplock project a few years ago. Recipient of the Royal Philharmonic Society's Instrumentalist Award just this year, Nicola is a firm believer that music is integral to a great education. And through her Benedetti Foundation, she has taught and inspired countless young musicians and provided a lifeline for thousands worldwide as they continue to play throughout the pandemic with her virtual Benedetti sessions. I've had the pleasure of working with and interviewing Nicola many times over her illustrious career, even though she's still very, very young. She's been going for many, many years. And I have to say, it is hard to think of another musician who has invested so much energy, enthusiasm and care into music education. And I was delighted she could spare some of her very precious time to chat to me over Zoom. She had just held a masterclass, actually, with a young musician, and she was about to head off to play with the LA Philharmonic. Before she set up the Benedetti Foundation, Nicola was involved with Sistema Scotland as a musical big sister. And I asked her what it was about the programme that she felt was so important to support. I contacted them right at the beginning to say I wanted to you know, be involved and see what they were doing and try to help out. Their organisational development over that time has been exemplary and inspiring, I think, to organisations all over the world, how they have negotiated governmental support and a telling of their own story that says, this is why we are relevant to anyone that can come across and, and, and encounter an interface with what we offer. Um, I think they've done that really, really successfully and they have no trouble communicating the importance of what they do. Also, the, the teachers that they have, the tutors that they have, the musicians that they have working with them are, um, are some of the strongest um, music educators that I, I know in the world. And uh, we invite them regularly to teach and, and present and, and lead workshops at, at the Benedetti Foundation. So I would say it's that extended family and real sense of, of community and mutual respects that breaks down the barriers, doesn't kind of, you know, silo teachers here, professional performers here, amateur performers here, educators here. We're kind of all part of a continuum that's natural. How do you reckon it's helping the kids who come along to those classes? Because a lot of them, I mean, they've never had any access to classical music before. They may have never picked up an instrument before, right? What I'm always fascinated as well is the real sort of hard tax of how it really helps them with their schoolwork as well, which at a very basic, prosaic level is something I can't believe that educators more generally don't pick up on. Yes. Well, I think although the statistics are clear, um, there are a number of things that do fall into that category as being helpful for the rest of education. Um, all sorts of, um, you know, they're, they're ancient practices, but they're more contemporary in terms of our Western ways from, you know, meditation to other sensory experiences with the body, with touch, with breathing, with focus, with there's all of these things that 
you know, can also fall into the category. People say similar things about basic physical exercise and being able to move around in sports. However, there is a deeply um, like emotive and spiritual component to music itself that is about expression. So I would always sit music and the arts, actually, music and the art, I would sit it in a category of its own, which I think does impact the rest of how you are able to function and concentrate. I mean, the other thing that I think is important to say is that we all know in our immediate lives how hard it is to focus, be productive, successful, calm, concentrated, if something from an emotional standpoint is off or a psychological standpoint is off. And the thousands of children that I've been in front of, you can so often tell, like I am just one sort of little problem away from me being, from what I'm trying to teach you being absorbed by you, you know, and quite often what's in, in between is nothing to do with um, ability or capacity to learn or intelligence or anything like that, you know, um, it's some sort of a block and um, therefore that freeing up of the mind and the body that of course work intrinsically together um, is something again that you know music can be chief amongst all in terms of addressing that and also just to say directly to your point about improving in other areas of your education when it comes to instrumental learning when it comes to discipline required to learn music when it comes to learning to to read notes or for that matter to understand how a rhythm fits together understand how two notes can fit together in harmony um all of those things it always you know fascinates me so much that like when i was young the idea of me going into music was always considered you know my head teachers were saying like why would she waste the aptitude that she has for her school on music she's wasting her brain on that and I think of everything that I learned in school nothing compared to the difficulty of learning the violin or the difficulty of trying to understand a concerto you know nothing came kind of close to that um and so I do think that um there are so many skills that are more along the lines of, you know, discipline, um, the mathematical brain, the problem-solving brain, that the complexity of music, it exercises those muscles and, and pushes you up a level. So what are you trying to achieve then with all your hundreds and hundreds of children that you've had access to through the Benedetti Foundation? Because, I mean, it's gobsmacking how many people have taken all your online courses over this last two years. Your timing was kind of terrible and perfect, wasn't it? Launching in January 2020. <laughs> Precisely that, yes. And we're at the point now where we're kind of analysing how all of that um, has affected our trajectory as has been the case with all organisations. But we were lucky to have four in-person large-scale workshops before lockdown happened. And then, of course, pivoted everything online. And we, we actually uh, did a summarisation of our numbers recently. And we've directly taught um, something like 25,000 uh, people um, from around the world. So countries all over the world. I think it's like over 90 countries or it's a high number um, and a really big age range as well um, because we do things that are very you know general musicianship um, just like 
understanding how to keep a basic pulse with a little bit of polyphony in there or, um, you know, basic kind of movement dance study that is nuanced in a way and reactive to music, but is something that, you know, anybody can participate in. So we have really, really young kids that can obviously take part in that, but also a large adult learner base. And, you know, I think we are trying to achieve a lot of different things at once, and that can be really tricky and confusing sometimes. And we are in a process of refining what our values are and our, our mission continuously, which is also completely natural um, after um, you know the big bang of doing something and starting something. But I would say that at the the core of all of our activity is to seek out the very best examples of what music education or music in education looks and feels like. Shine a bright light on those best practices and best examples and kind of trumpet them out to the world. And on top of that, be thinking ourselves continuously. What are we not seeing? What do we need to revolutionize? In which areas can we really trailblaze and set a new standard that is absolutely cognizant of and respectful to our long and rich tradition, but that is constantly looking today and thinking, where is our contemporary voice? So I would say those two things are kind of, they underpin everything that we try to do. And what do you think the trailblazing next step is going to be for you? Are there any particular areas that you really want to crack on with? Our actual activity sort of falls into sort of pillars. One, of course, is the live sessions themselves. So it's a case of continually refining what that workshop feels like. You know, um, it has to be something that is full of um, like high energy and excitement, ideally something that then you know, it lasts inside that person for a long time. So something that has that explosive power, um, but also something that constantly addresses what is the ground that we stand on when we're talking about music and music education? What are those foundational things that we all agree? If you don't understand them, then you're not getting a good music education. So the live activity, we are in a process of just, you know, refining and upping the level of that. Then there's our ambassador program, which is for college age students, really. And of course, that is about the not just the, the pipeline of great musicians that must also value the role of the teacher and step into that role as well as carrying out their performing careers but also tapping into that young generation that simply see things in ways that we don't and um, looking at things from their perspective and trying to kind of unlock all of their creativity and for us then try to put it into practice what are their ideas that we can then give life to then of course there's a general advocacy which we do on a continual basis which a lot of that takes place behind the scenes it's not you think of advocacy as like you know getting in the paper and talking about stuff publicly all the time that's a part of it but there's a huge amount of local and national advocacy that is just conversations convincing people of things making sure we're repeating that important message over and over again in, in personal circumstances and then the, the final one is online content and how are we raising the level of that experience to make it as impactful as possible and that what we present and provide 
online is it's something that is there for anyone who has an internet access to be able to click into. And we want to make sure that that presentation is always of the highest possible quality. You must feel incredibly proud of everything that you've achieved over the last couple of years with the Benefactor Foundation, because I mean, 25,000 people accessing the material is just, that will have changed a lot of lives. I do feel proud of what we've achieved. But, you know, as with anybody trying to do anything, we're, we're continually picking it all apart and seeing what can we do next that's that has to be better you know <laughs> if I can just just to finish off just to go back in a way to where we started in your advocacy I just want to hear that kind of elevator pitch if you like that sort of 30 second kind of convince me as somebody who might not agree with you why it is so important that kids have access to music in their lives? Well, music is the art of the invisible things. So our thoughts and feelings, the parts of us that actually are most powerful and probably most important, but that you can't necessarily quantify in a test result and you can't see. And if we can provide, you know, a high quality music education, it it will help us be just better versions of ourselves in a way that is um, painless and also enjoyable. You know, if you look at interviews of people in the last years of their life, what do they talk about as being paramount to a successful life or a fulfilled life? And relationships are top of their list. You know, I think in terms of elevating our view of society, elevating our ability to communicate with each other and have that empathy with each other, we need to be bringing something that works in school to address that. And of course, I would be, I would be seeing music as that thing. <laughs> How important do you think it is that kids who have otherwise no access at all to any kind of, I suppose, art and culture or don't come from musical families? How transformative are the lessons, the masterclasses that you give to these kids? Well, I think we try to make everything, whether we're talking about exactly how to hold a bow and a violin or how to sing a phrase, we try to make everything relevant to a life lesson. And we're never um, getting so detailed and small that we don't understand that actually the vast majority of people that we are teaching, they're not going to go on to do music as a profession, but it's going to deeply impact their lives. And so how are we taking all possible you know metaphorical examples within music and uh and addressing vital life lessons and life skills through that prism um so i would say for for that reason because we do focus on that and we only work with tutors and, and teachers and musicians who share that belief um that naturally will mean that the, the sessions are, are very impactful for people. And it should be available to everybody, right? It shouldn't be just somebody who's got access to music lessons through a mum who's played in orchestra or, you know, it's it really has got to be just out there, hasn't it? Absolutely. No, I mean, look, there's, there is discrimination all over our society and music within education is is one of a million things that falls into that category and just happens to be, I would say, more marginalised because it is a tricky thing to teach. It's difficult to make a high quality version of that available for everyone. But 
um, you know, continuing to fight the same fight over and over again and, and hope that even more, you know, development and enlightened thought um, comes our way is, is that's, you know, that's a, a life choice and a life mission for me and for so many of my colleagues. And long may you continue to do so. Here's Nicola leading a very happy group of children at a Benedetti Sessions concert. Huge thanks to Nicola Benedetti and to Neven Lobin from the People's Orchestra, to Joe Ashcroft from Sistema Scotland's Big Noise Project and to Simone and Scott Hutchinson, whose lives have been transformed through the great work they do in Raploch and with communities all over Scotland. We have heard a lot in this episode about how music helps build valuable relationships. And it's something that's at the heart of the Citizens of the World Choir. In the next episode, we'll be hearing from their choir leader, Becky Dell, and also from some of their singers, amongst them refugees who've been given a lifeline when they've arrived in the UK. I'll also be chatting to acclaimed actor Emily Watson, who's patron of the Citizens of the World Choir, about why she gives them her support. So do join us for a really inspirational and emotional edition of Just the Tonic. If you're thinking about joining a choir or a community orchestra or maybe looking for musicians to start a band, search online for community arts organisations in your area or get in touch with Arts Council England, the Arts Council of Wales, the Arts Council of Northern Ireland or Creative Scotland. Just the Tonic with Katie Derham was produced by Jill Davis and is a Peanut and Crumb production supported by the People's Orchestra and Arts Council England.